1: Hi everybody, I'm Kelly Evans and here's what's ahead. Walmart's core customer is under pressure. Jan Niffin gave us that very warning on Friday. And now the retail giant has cut its outlook, sending retail shares and the broader markets lower, well, at least mostly lower. And it's not just Walmart, Shopify laying off workers as they admit e-commerce is also slowing more than expected. Are there any retail winners? Actually, yes, and we will go through them. Plus, big tech on deck. The Nasdaq leading the declines right now as Microsoft and Alphabet are set to report after the bell. Should you buy either right now? It's actually a yes for one of them, says Danielle Shea, and she'll make her case in just a moment. And from lack of product to lack of labor, we check back in with one company we first profiled during the pandemic, the CEO says job abandonment is now his biggest challenge. But first, let's get today's market numbers.
2: Dom? It's red, uh, markedly so, especially for that NASDAQ trade, as you point out, Kelly. Uh, but right now for the Dow, leading, if you will, on a relative basis, only off about 125 points, 31,867, about one-third of 1% downside. The S&P is still below 3926. the last trade. They're off about 40 points, 1% declines. And the NASDAQ composite has been the real epicenter of the downside so far at its lows down roughly 2%. We're off one and three quarters right now, 11,578 or 203 points to the downside. And believe it or not today, mid caps are outperforming large caps and small caps are outperforming both of them. So a very curious market dynamic playing out ahead of that Fed meeting tomorrow. Also, watch what's happening with interest rates, speaking of the Fed, as we approach that rate decision, because 10-year Treasury note yields believe it or not, are on the decline again today. At the lows of the session, we were below 2.71%. And the reason why that's important right now is because this level, you gotta go all the way back to mid-April to find yields this low, which means there has been a decent sized bid for the safety of U.S. government bonds, the full faith and credit of the U.S. Treasury. But right now we're at the highs of the session. We'll see if those rates continue to hover right around this 2.78 level for the benchmark 10 year. And then, by the way, technology playing to that trade as well. Watch that Microsoft and Alphabet interest rates going lower should be good for some of those valuations. And then we mentioned retail. Kelly did. Walmart and Shopify, two of the stocks you have to pay attention to today. Walmart, after it cut its profit forecast because of the effects of inflation hitting consumers and their wallets. Shopify, Kelly mentions, those online shopping trends, maybe not as robust as they thought, laying off people. Walmart right now down nearly 8 percent. Shopify down 15 percent, Kelly. A very interesting dynamic for the Fed to navigate in this kind of an environment with a possibly weakening consumer and then maybe inflation on the way down. I don't know. We'll send things back over.
1: All right, Dom, thank you. I think about them all gathering to kick off their two-day policy meeting. And these are the headlines setting the tone for that. And we're going to have more on Walmart in just a moment. But inflation and recession fears are front and center in the latest CNBC Fed survey as well. Let's get straight to Steve Leisman with all the results. Steve.
3: Kelly, with increasing conviction, the respondents to the CNBC Fed survey are predicting a recession on the way and link that cause directly to the Fed's efforts to raise interest rates and bring down inflation. The average probability of recession in the next 12 months surging to 55 percent. That is up 20 points from the may survey and far higher than it was you can see there back in december along with that the 30 respondents slashing their forecasts for growth in january for example they thought gdp this year would be three and a half percent now they think it's going to be just three quarters of a percentage point next year they brought it down by a full percentage point to one point six percent gregory daco a chief economist at ey writing in Factoring the persistent drag from higher inflation, the significant stock market correction, the visible slowdown in consumer demand, and increased business, we anticipate the U.S. economy will experience a recession toward year-end. That is, by the way, the average forecast that a recession begins in December. Inflation, almost 7% this year coming in, uh, going down to 3.4%, but notice that's still not the Fed's 2% target. Unemployment ticks up a bit. There's a half a point there, up 4.4% uh, uh, for th- for 2023. The forecast see the Fed hiking 75 this week and all the way to 3.8% by March. But then pairing back as the economy slows and likely, according to this group, Kelly, falls into recession.
1: Oh, the R word. Steve, thank you very much. Our Steve Leisman with the latest results from our survey there. Let's turn now to Walmart. It's far from the only company seeing a slowdown. Companies ranging from Seagate to DR Horton to CarMax all turning cautious so far this earnings season. But according to my next guest, there are some bright spots like Grocery Outlet, whose shares are up more than 50 percent this year. Joining us now is Oliver Chen. He's managing director at Cowan. Oliver, it's great to have you. So let's just, you know, kind of give your, your kitchen your dinner table advice to people who are asking you what the heck is going on with Walmart, what are you telling them?
4: Yeah, unfortunately, inflation had a really adverse effect, gas prices, uh, as well as other factors and energy. Um, so what happened here was the company needed a markdown non-grocery product uh, more than they previously expected. Gross margins will be pressured in 2Q, and 3Q and 4Q as well. So we're watching it. It was negative news. It's a negative read-through to all of retail, particularly apparel, traffic, mall retailers, and others. Um, however, people still need to eat. And grocery is a big part of the business and they're share leaders. And they actually guided revenues up slightly this quarter. Taking these markdowns early and fast is very important. And it continues to be uh, an important great retailer with lots of digital plus physical. Yeah. In terms of strategies, next, go value. We like grocery outlet prices there are 20 to 70% lower. We were just on the phone with LVMH, Louis Vuitton, and people are definitely still spending in luxury goods. So we're selective and we like brands as well. So, again, just to be clear
1: on Walmart, and it explains the relationship here, but you're saying grocery strong, non grocery not strong. Other than Grocery Outlet, which you mentioned, are you still bullish on that name? Should we expect these trends to continue for the next six months? And who else do you think uh, is positive outside of the luxury space?
4: Yeah, we also like Ulta. So we think beauty has some recession-resistant qualities. Uh, cosmetics is uptrending as people go out again and need it for events. And beauty is you know taking care of yourself and replenishable with innovation there, too. We like Canada Goose. Again, It's a, it's a luxury brand. And consumers are willing to take price increases on handbags and luxury goods, and they can and they have been very good momentum, particularly in the Americas, as well as Americans traveling abroad to Europe. Also, wine and spirits is doing very well at LVMH. Um, We're more cautious on mall traffic, higher gas prices, traffic. People want stores close to where they're located, and they're looking for discounts. So off-price retailer, Grocery Outlet is an off-price grocer, with low prices and opportunistic buying, uh, that's quite a positive. There's still a treasure hunt when you go there. And it's a it's a staple where you, where you need groceries no matter what.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually about to check out. Oh, I wonder if there's one around me. And we know Aldi, Little, you know, there's a lot of similar beneficiaries from this. Uh, I guess the final question I would ask is whether these trends have reversed at all. Gasoline prices peaked. Uh, nationwide, I think on the first day of the last Fed meeting six weeks ago, so June 14th, 501 a gallon, we're down considerably since then. Are we betting on history if we extrapolate too much from what we just learned? Or is Walmart confirming that even with this correction in gasoline prices, the pressure is intense and it's not letting up?
4: It's been intense lately. So Walmart's at the front lines in terms of what consumers feel. Um, gas and inflation was worse than expected in the last month. They took some markdowns in non-grocery, like apparel and general merchandise, but the consumer really needed more markdowns for them to clear through these goods. So we'll have promotions in the marketplace. And unfortunately, um, this negative print could foreshadow a lot more negative prints as well. Uh, Walmart's a very well-run organization, but they're gonna need to promote a lot. That will impact the industry as well. So we're, we're watching back to school, we're watching holiday. Uh, the consumer still has relatively healthy net worth and unemployment's low. There are positives in terms of the consumer, but it's, it's very much crosswinds, pluses and negatives in terms of this evolution uh, where earnings are coming down in the near term.
1: All right. The OC, Oliver Chen. Thanks for your time today. Great to have you. you, We appreciate Oliver Chen of Cowan. Let's turn now to tech with Microsoft and Alphabet earnings just hours away. The stocks are still under pressure. These two stocks represent 10 percent of the S&P's market cap and 17 percent of the NASDAQ 100. Both names are down two to three percent today and 25 percent this year. Cloud growth and currency headwinds, a factor for Microsoft. Any possible weakness in PC and hardware sales, we're watching for a consumer gauge. As for Alphabet, it's all about online ad spending after Snap's disaster. Also about the cloud and competition from TikTok. Here to make sense of it all and tell us where she would place her bets, Danielle Shea is VP of Options at Simpler Trading. And Danielle, before we get into this, I have to say you were right in your kind of bearishness about earnings season overall when we spoke just a few days ago.
5: Thank you, Kelly. You know, looking at earnings season overall, I just think there's so many landmines. You have executives all over the place noting so many issues. I just think it's going to continue to weigh heavily on this market.
1: What about Microsoft and Alphabet? And I don't want to, you know, skip too much ahead to to the ending here. But one of these names, you are more positive on than the other.
5: Absolutely. So, you know, I love Microsoft. Microsoft's one of my favorite long term stock holdings. Yes, it's down today. But when you look at the way that Microsoft performs on earnings overall, you know, you have 14 out of the last 15 quarters that it's beat earnings 13 out of the last 15 quarters. It's actually traded higher in the eight day timeframe post earnings. So generally what that means is that regardless of what they say, you do have buyers coming in after the fact. Now Microsoft is sitting down on a key area of support right at 250, and I will warn viewers that 240 is a very critical area. With a $12 expected market maker move, it is possible that we break to a new low on the year. But the thing is, is that Microsoft is relatively muted on earnings. I mean, the biggest move over the last 15 quarters was 2.6%, we're already down three today. So, I think it makes sense to sell put credit spreads here, but give yourself a couple weeks in case we do initially fall. But I'm wrong if it breaks two forty. OK.
1: so th- if it breaks two forty, you know you throw throw out this playbook. the The halftime panel last hour was much more negative on Microsoft because of the valuation. It sounds like what you're saying is that high valuation is warranted and a sign of a stronger performer than some of the other names in the space.
5: Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying and what I like to do is I really like to look at the way that companies react on earnings because when you look at the reaction that really demonstrates how shareholders are taking into account what the executives are saying and so you know when you look at the various product segments in Microsoft you have a pretty wide range there you also have a lot of potential for growth in the cybersecurity and the gaming space. They have a lot of brand loyalty. And overall, even if their margins do suffer slightly this quarter, uh, I still think that they have a really good long term potential. And they've shown their ability to weather through economic problems like we're going through right now.
1: Sure. So Google, a different story for you. And this one will help explain whether SNAP's problems are SNAP specific or not. And you don't really like the way the charts are looking into these results, do you?
5: You know I don't like the way that they're looking and I think it's really important to compare this against the way that Microsoft trades surrounding earnings and the way that Google has traded surrounding earnings because the way that I've seen the price action play out in Google it is just not positive at all. If you look at the beginning of the year for example and you start with January to February Google made a new all-time high after it reported earnings but then it just proceeded to sell off for weeks on end. When you look at last quarter in particular it sold off going into earnings and fell even further after earnings that demonstrates that investors weren't looking at that down move as a good opportunity to come in and buy. Then on top of that you have the split. If there was going to be any reason to buy Google stock in July it should have been prior to the split or at least post split but you didn't have buyers coming in there as well. So. I'm looking at all of those factors in addition to the fact that the market maker expected move in the options markets about 6 or $7. If it falls just the normal move it'll break to a new
1: low on the year. Wow, because it's at 105 right now, and then we'd be talking about under 100. And it, like you said, the split was a dud from a trading perspective. It didn't really do a lot. Um, so many different factors. Danielle, a fascinating breakdown. Thank you. Uh, two very different conclusions for these names. And we'll find out in a couple of hours. Danielle Shea joining me. Five-year notes were up for auction, top of the hour. Rick Santelli have, has the results, I should say. Rick, how's it
6: looking? You know, it looked pretty good. I gave the auction a B-plus, Boyd-plus. For demand by investors, it's straight up one Eastern. Let's go through it, shall we? 46 billion five year notes. Second leg, we had the twos yesterday. We don't have sevens tomorrow because of the Fed decision. They'll be on Thursday. The yield of those 46 billion, 2.86 right on the nose. The one issued market was at 2.87, lower yield, higher price. That's a positive. All the metrics were near 10 auction average. Uh, the best uh, metric, I think, was indirect bidders. We always talk about that, Kelly. That's your foreign interest. And I also think that the dealer community taking much less than their 20% 10 auction average down at 16.8 is a good thing. As you look at the charts, you could see we did have a nice little pop. Uh, right at 1 Eastern, didn't last long. We're basically at the high yield, low price of the session, as you see on the intraday. And if you open it up to early May, you can see what Dom was talking about. The longer the maturity, the more damage that's being done to the price, pushing yields down. Uh, uh, excuse me, pushing price up yields down. So the shorter maturities are still hovering a five year, hovering at the lowest yields, really very close since the very end of June, or as a 10 year note yield on Friday closed at a two month low. We want to continue to monitor the recession issues, the fact that Putin gets to monitor all the strategies of Europe as they try to stockpile their natural gas. He's right there. He's not going to let them be successful. Recession in Europe, either we're there or it's going to be coming shortly. And of course, with our Fed meeting tomorrow, we're going to underscore the notion that the softening economy, of course, making interest rates. Well, consider 3.49 plus percent. June 14th, high yield close for this move. Wow. Ten-year note yields are a basically at two and three quarters, that's a big move. Kelly, back Huge
1: to Huge and amazing that the interest is so strong ahead of this meeting, Rick. Thank you very much, our Rick Santelli. Still ahead, the Senate voting to advance the Chips Act, and we'll look at whether you should jump into the semis here. Plus, Shopify, Chipotle, and Visa are all due to report in the next 24 hours. Will they rise and fall together? It's a tale of three stocks in today's earnings exchange. And as we head to break, let's get a quick check on markets. Session low for the Dow was down 230. We're down 100 right now. The s and down 1%. The Nasdaq's down more than one and a half percent. The Russell Small Caps—they're down half a percent as well. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to the exchange. The semi, the SMH ETF, is riding a three week winning streak and it's up 10 percent in July for its best month, best month since November. It's been a tough stretch since then, of course. And the Senate voting 64 to 32 to advance the CHIPS Act. Let's bring in Elon Moy with the
8: very latest. Elon. Well, Kelly, the Senate cleared that final procedural hurdle on chips just over an hour ago. And now lawmakers in both parties are hoping for final passage ASAP so they can go home for recess with a win under their belt. Now, victory could be especially important for Arizona's Mark Kelly. He's one of the most vulnerable Democrats in the Senate, and the funding for chips is critical for his state intel is building two fabs in arizona and investing 20 billion dollars that's the largest private sector investment ever in the state and tsmc has plans for a 12 billion dollar facility but warned that the pace of construction and hiring depends on passage of the chips act
7: these chips go in all of our weapon systems if you're flying an f-35 or you know airplane i flew you know, airplanes I flew in the Navy or the space shuttle, it's so important uh, that they're, they're made here, and they're tested here, that we don't have to get them from on the other
6: side of the ocean.
8: Now, Kelly made this bill one of his top priorities when he arrived in the Senate last year, and his push has created some unlikely alliances, such as with Arizona's Republican Governor Doug Ducey and even Kerry Lake, the Trump-backed conservative, running to replace him. So delivering chips could prove Kelly's crossover appeal and help him at the ballot box in November. Kelly. All right. A lot of Kelly's. Uh, Elon, thank you very much. Our next guest says
1: passage of the CHIPS Act could be the jump start that the industry needs. And it's got him feeling bullish. Joining me now is Mark Smith. He's the senior vice president and portfolio manager at Wells Fargo Advisors. And Mark, I like your perspective on this because you're not an, a, a, an Intel analyst or someone who's been following this or rooting for the space even to succeed. So why do do you think this is so significant and positive for the whole sector?
7: Well, it it starts with a B, $52 billion over the next five years is going from the Feds to this specific sector. Um, That's an unprecedented uh, investment in the semiconductor space. And so you've got to be bullish if that amount of money is flowing in. And i got to tell you, Kelly, a lot of this has to be R&D. When you've got 90 percent of the neon used for chips in Ukraine and when you've got Krypton being the largest um, exporter from Ukraine, that helps the gases that make the chips You've got a problem, so you've got to get in there and redesign these chips with stuff that we can, you know, source here at home or somewhere else that's safer in the world. And you're going to need every bit of that 52 billion. So I'm bullish because of the amount of investment that's being made bipartisan on this side um, uh, in regards to chips and how much money can flow in there. And, and then you've got to look at the demand, right? Because if you have enough product, it doesn't matter if people aren't buying it. I just played golf and I had a microchip in the golf uh, in the golf ball. <laughs> so this is this is just going to keep going. And these chips are going to be needed more and more uh, for cars and everything else we, we use um, in, in, in this new modern age.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I take your point. I suppose maybe I'm too cynical. Look, I don't want to depend on other countries for something so important. I just worry this is going to be a ton of wasted money and that it would be better to let the intels and the other American, you know, to encourage, incentivize, maybe, you know, push them in that direction, tax breaks, whatever it takes. But this is just a lot of money to throw at this. And I'm not sure if there's a clear precedent for it working all that successfully.
7: Well, China, Taiwan, they're doing that. They're doing the exact same thing, but they've been doing it for decades. They've been subsidizing major companies over there. And we have allowed private industry and private investors to do that here. Now the U.S. is saying, listen, we got it. We got it. Two can play this game. We can put some money behind our, our chips and our semis and and be one of the largest producers of semiconductors in the world. Maybe not tomorrow, Kelly, but definitely next five to 10 years if we if we really put on our thinking caps and, and use all this money the right way.
1: So one of the pitches that um, the president is making is that this is beyond just the semiconductor industry. Are there, I mean, is this the kind of thing they pass the CHIPS Act, you start feeling more bullish about the whole market and the whole economy?
7: I'm feeling bullish about the, the chips because of the fact that they're down so much. I mean, look at the charts on the SMH or the major U.S. semiconductors, they're down big. And I'm a value investor. And so um, and just like Mr. Buffett, he's buying them, too. So I think anyone who's a long term investor, you got to see if a sector's down 50 percent and you want some time to start dollar cost averaging in. I'm not saying, you know, load up the uh, the shelves here and, and put everything on today. But I'm saying you should start dollar cost averaging in if you're a long term investor Uh, This is your retirement money. This is money you're not going to use for 20, 30 years. You're going to look back and see that this was a great buying opportunity, I think. And if it goes lower, buy some more.
1: All right. Mark Smith fired up. I said, I got to hear what he has to say, (laughs) encouraging me to open my mind a little. Thank you very much. Mark Smith with Wells Fargo Advisors. Coming up, crypto lower again. Coinbase down as much as 14% today. What's behind the drops and what's the regulatory showdown shaping up? That's still ahead. Plus, we'll get the number one issue for U.S. supply chains. It's not chips anymore, according to one manufacturing CEO. We'll tell you what it is and how this company is adapting to meet demand. The Exchange is back after this.
0: Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Riders block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at Canva.com. Designed for work.
1: Canva. Yeah. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. The eve of the Fed decision. We're watching markets very closely. We're seeing a lot of buying of bonds today. Not a lot of buying of stocks, or at least at higher prices. The Dow's down a third of a percent. The S&P down 1%. Interestingly enough, the NASDAQ down 1.6%, so no sign here that investors are putting on the growth trade because they're worried about growth or helpy, uh that it's being helped by lower interest rates. I so just want to point that out uh, in particular. And part of it, the cybersecurity names are among the biggest laggards in the NASDAQ after BTIG downgraded Zscaler to neutral on signs of a slowdown in its business. Zscaler down 9%. You can see its peers down a similar range today, including Fortinet, Palo Alto, CrowdStrike and Okta and Adidas. This was a late-breaking story this morning, cutting its forecast for the fiscal year, citing a slower recovery in greater China and a potential slowdown in other markets. They say they expect revenues in China to fall more than 10% for the remainder of the year. So a reminder about soft patches elsewhere that are catching up with some of these names. It's not just a Walmart U.S. story. Adidas shares down
9: 7%. Let's get to Seema Modi now for a CNBC News update. Seema? Kelly, President Biden's COVID symptoms are now almost completely resolved, and he has completed his Paxlovid treatment. That's the update today from his doctor, who reports Biden feels well enough to resume his physical exercises, although the president will continue to isolate. Meeting in Brussels today, European Union energy ministers agreed to ration natural gas this winter, anticipating Vladimir Putin could completely shut down Russia's energy exports to European nations over their support of Ukraine, they approved a draft European law designed to lower demand by 15 percent, with mandatory cuts kicking in if voluntary measures do not do enough. And in southern India, a group of students very excited the 44th Chess Olympiad will be held in the city of Chennai starting this weekend. So excited that they created an enormous chess board in a playground dressed up as chess pieces and played what might be called a life-sized version of the game. Tonight on the news, the new technique helping first responders find missing people faster. 7 p.m. Eastern. Kelly, for now, back to you. Maybe I'll do like a chessboard with chalk in the, in the driveway. In the backyard? Yeah. Right, the sidewalk? Yeah, yeah, why not? Could be fun. Good idea.
1: FEMA, <laughs> thanks. Coming up today's earnings exchange, Visa hasn't missed on the bottom line in five years. Shopify options imply a 16% move in shares. And the street expects Chipotle to post double-digit comps in the second quarter. We've got the action, the story, and the trade next. Welcome back, everybody. We are heading into the middle of the busiest week of earnings this season. So let's get the action, the story and the trade on shopping, spending and sofritos in today's earnings exchange. And we'll start with Shopify because what a story this is already. It doesn't report until tomorrow morning, but the shares are down 15 percent today after announcing uh, the company announcing they're laying off 10 percent of the workforce. Shopify shares are down 77 percent Since January, Kate Rooney is here on set with the story for us today and Victoria Green of G Squared Private Wealth. She is the CIO and she has our trades today. Welcome to both of you. So Shopify, Kate, what now?
10: I know this is a big day day for for Shopify. Shopify. Not a huge surprise based on what other tech companies have done. We've seen some layoffs, but the the CEO coming out with a statement this morning, essentially saying we got it wrong when it came to e-commerce. We're back at pre-COVID levels It's not the push ahead we thought. They had talked about, oh, this is going to pull five years of e-commerce spending forward. He said, you know, we were overly ambitious. He took responsibility and said, guys, I got it wrong. We're going to have to scale back in terms of hiring and then laying off about 10% of the workforce. And then the big things to watch as far as earnings now, that e-commerce mix. So how severe is that? Where are we on e-commerce spending? Shopify is a great bellwether for that. And what's going on in e-commerce in general could also have implications for the PayPal's of the world. Sure. So some of the payment companies and analysts will be watching that pretty closely. The mix and then merchant growth, the GMV, which is gross merchandise volume, that really shows the overall platform and kind of how big big it is, how much it's growing. Is inflation also a part of that? Are people going to move to some of the discount retailers Versus going to somebody who works with Shopify, maybe Absolutely. looking for that higher
1: end. So here's a question, and, and maybe we don't know the answer, but why <laughs> would they do the job cut announcement today and not as part of their earnings tomorrow? Or did they feel like they wanted the the two to be, you know, kept distinct in people's minds?
10: It's interesting that they got out ahead of the earnings report. It could have been something like a leak where they wanted to get ahead of the news and say, OK, guys, hey, you knew heard this was coming But here's what's actually happening and kind of separate those two things and uh, maybe get the worst over with and say, guys, this is not going to be a great reaction, but it's sort of the medicine that the market needs to take and get ahead of those expectations. But it's unclear why you wouldn't just announce that during an earnings report. The thing, though, to watch would be any context around this. He did. The CEO, Tobias Luque, gave a little bit of context, but I think the earnings call will be really important tomorrow to hear kind of the expectations going forward, not necessarily guidance. Some companies have been a little more conservative. Right. But well, what shop am I going to say in terms of what this means for the business? Sure. So, Victoria, we turn to you. The share's down 15% today. Like we said, near-term options
1: say it could be a 16% mover one way or the other on these results. What do you do with the stock?
11: Uh, 77% down isn't cheap enough for me. I'm still a seller here. If this was pre-announcing some news to make the earnings look better, what's under the earnings? If you're giving out bad news, I don't think that means anything good's under the hood tomorrow. They're exposed to a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. They may be feeling the brunt a little bit more, as well as e-commerce slowing down because the general consumer is having to spend more on basic needs, food, shelter, gasoline, all of the other, all the inflation pressure. So I am not a buyer of Shopify, even after 15% drop i think they're going to have pressures i appreciate the ceo saying he got it wrong but i don't think that means any that, that we're going to have growth so if you're in a high multiple stuff like shop multiple stock like shop, (laughs) then you need to have that's a tongue twister there. Uh, You need to have growth catalyst. So what's the growth catalyst here? How are they going to have a
1: good 2022?
11: I don't think the band-aid has been fully ripped off yet.
1: Quick follow up to that, Victoria. Amazon is down 5% today. It's getting close uh, back to its 52 week low between Shopify and Walmart, I mean, this is a one-two punch. Granted, they have the cloud. Does it make you want to buy Amazon because it's a very different business or that's a big no, okay. That's a big no.
11: I'm sorry, and this may be unpopular, and I may look in it like an idiot by the end of the week. I'm not touching Amazon yet. They're under too much pressure. If you look at something like UPS's struggles today, then you have Walmart struggles. You know, the only thing that's probably working really well is AWS. I know they're a little more diversified, but you have to look at some of these inflationary pressures. And if the e-commerce shift is also shifting away, and you're seeing Walmart shifting away from some of the um, the, the clothing and other items into staples, I think Amazon's also going to get hit with that. So, the, you know, maybe Whole Foods. We've seen this luxury section of the market actually hold up really well. Louis Vuitton, you know, and AmEx and those guys are reporting great numbers. But then you see your Walmart. So it's like Main Street is
1: struggling. And yeah. I don't know
11: how many other companies can say that. Walmart, Verizon, AT&T, none of them are, are signaling the strength in the average consumer.
1: Very well said. Perfect segue to talk Visa because they're also reporting in the next 24 hours. The shares are only down about 4 percent this year. They beat EPS 19 out of the past 20 times. The only other time they were in line. Kate, what are the expectations here?
10: Kelly, it's so interesting. I was thinking last time I was in the office here, probably six months ago, you and I were talking about Visa, MasterCard, some of the big payment giants and what was going on. And then meanwhile, you had Shopify, you had all of these pandemic era darlings doing so well, that trade has completely reversed. And now Visa, MasterCard, Amex are really the safe haven trade. Absolutely. So, so interesting to see that turnaround. But Visa expectations are higher because of what Amex reported last Friday, really strong quarter, really strong travel and entertainment spending. So if you've been in an airport lately or you're, you're traveling at all, you've seen this kind of pent up demand people are spending now on travel and entertainment. That is expected to be a strong segment. We'll see kind of that breakdown of spending, also e-commerce, how that, that sort of mix of spending and then any sort of recession talk. Last quarter, uh, we got a lot of commentary about the credit card companies saying that they're not seeing any signs of a recession when it comes to consumer spending and health of the consumer. What are they going to say this quarter? Is it the same thing? Inflation and it can actually be sort of a near-term bump for the credit card companies, higher ticket Absolutely. prices, higher gas prices, end up meaning a little bit of a payments bump. So it could be a near-term thing, but that's another topic people are focused on. Inflation, spending, but expectations are pretty high here for Visa.
1: Victoria, with, given what you said about sort of a consumer cautiousness, what do you do with Visa?
10: I'm gonna buy Visa and I know
11: wow. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth now. I sound like a bank CEO, right? <laughs> Saying everything's terrible, but we're making lots of money. No, I'm buying Visa. I think they're on track for their 20% revenue growth target. And it's all about the cross-border traffic, baby. It's all about the travel. We should see a, a bump like we saw with Amex. Visa's widely accepted, and we're expecting to see a lot of those cross-border flows pick up. That's a, a nice bump up in revenue. Obviously, consumers are still spending and they're spending more on debt than they are out of savings. So that's another nice bump for Visa. I'm looking for about seven billion revenue. I think they have something like three trillion in process payments in the quarter. And if you look at some of their numbers that they reported uh, earlier, I think they're gonna have a good flow. And I think they're gonna come on the heels of a hot Amex number. Obviously expectations are higher, but I also like what they're doing, You know, as they collaborate more with the peer-to-peer and they're getting into some of these more remittance payments. Vita has continued to expand beyond just, here's my credit card. And I think they're very smart on how they're doing that and how they're starting to partner with anything on crypto. And so instead of competitors with some of the FinTech, they've actually become collaborators. So I see right. Visa continuing to be able to grow their market share. And I think it's going to be a strong quarter. Who didn't spend money in the second quarter? We all traveled.
1: <laughs> or, even, or even if you spent it on groceries and gasoline, uh, unless you were looking for the discount. If you did. Anyway. Uh, Victoria, we'll leave it there. We appreciate it. Kate, thank you so much. Our Kate Rooney on both of these names for us. Let's round things out with shares of Chipotle, which are down 22% this year, despite that upbeat outlook from analysts. There's 24 buy ratings on the street. Will this quarter be a reality check for them or not? Let's bring in Kate Rogers with that story. Kate?
2: Hey, Kelly. Well, analysts are looking for EPS of $9.04 on revenues of $2.24 billion for Chipotle in the second quarter. Same store sales always in focus, projected to increase by 10.9 percent. That is a very big jump for the space. Chipotle has been a name that's touted its pricing power in the past, so we'll be looking out to hear from its executives on continued price hikes and how much room they believe is left to run for the consumer. Analysts, remember, have favored Chipotle as it caters to a higher income demographic that may be a little less sensitive to future price increases, and they've been absorbing them so far. Inflation also key as well as higher prices for beef, paper, labor, and avocados did weigh on the company's margins last year. And then finally, any commentary on the unionization efforts will be of note. Although again, as we've reported uh, last week, just two stores so far had filed petitions. So it's far smaller than the Starbucks footprint, but will be of note as well. All right, Kate, thank you. Victoria,
1: Drumroll, please. Which way are you going to break on Chipotle? I'm buying the
11: dip. I'm, I'm a buyer of Chipotle. And that's a joke on their new uh, uh, promo that they're doing with uh, linking in cryptocurrencies and buying the dip. I I actually really like Chipotle. I think they're going to be able to defend their 25% margin. They're a growing business. Uh, They actually are still on the cheaper end of fast casual. So almost any consumer is seeing increases of food, whether it's eating out, which has been cut back from in-store eating out, but they still fit a great marketplace as well as 42%. And we're watching their digital orders because I think Chipotle fits this great growing marketplace that is very tech forward. 42 to digital would be great. And I think they're continuing to evolve and they and they capture a younger demographic that likes ordering on their apps. They're very in, in tune with them with these little crypto promotions. I will put out there, not to hurt their earnings, but apparently July 31st is National Avocado Day. <laughs> and if you sign up for their rewards, you can get an avocado a guacamole for a penny. So, <laughs> uh, look, I like the stock. You look at McDonald's numbers. McDonald's did well. Both McDonald's and Chipotle were the only two that really saw an increase in foot traffic. I think they saw some, some good numbers. I think I like what they're doing. They're looking at their Chipotle lanes. They're looking at all these ways that they can engage their customers and reduce the barriers to how a customer orders food from them and how they receive
1: food from them. And I think it's a very forward-looking growth strategy. I love it. Victoria, thanks so much for all your thoughts and insight today. I'm excited for all these results. We appreciate it. Victoria Green with G squared. Coming up, it's not all bad for earnings. This sector is showing some surprising strength in today's results. It's coming off a 6% drop the past three months, is a turnaround ahead. That's next on the exchange. Welcome back. Walmart taking a well-documented hit on grim guidance ahead of its earnings report next month, but the industrial names that reported today are seeing their stocks do better. The sector is trying to say or fight positive today. Seema Modi is here with what's behind these moves and reactions.
9: Yeah. So the expectations, Kelly, were brought down so much because of all the data from the industrial world came out so negative, but that gave these companies the ability to beat. So 3M shares now on track for their best day in more than two years, beat on earnings, but the stock is really moving on news that that. that it's spinning off its healthcare business, which makes up about 25% of the company's sales. Now, Melius Research calling it a smart and critical step out of the abyss, a move that will unlock shareholder value since Mike Roman became CEO of 3M, shares have shed about $40 billion in market cap. So this is seen as a bold move and it's being cheered by Wall Street. And in a way, it's taking a page from GE CEO Larry Culp's playbook as that industrial gets ready to split into three companies next year. Culp uh, remaining the CEO of Aviation, that business is really what drove second quarter earnings as travel rebounds, demand for engines, repairs is up, sales up 27% in the second quarter. GE, He did push out, though, its $1 billion in working capital, due in part to the pressure that it's seeing in its renewables business, pointing to Washington for not greenlighting the subsidies needed to make wind energy more competitive. Culp telling me he cannot predict when renewable will turn a profit. That's very different, Kelly, from what he's saying about... Aviation, power, where he has a lot more conviction about their future. 5% rally
1: for GE, 5 6% for 3M today. I'm surprised the sector isn't positive on that.
9: Right, exactly. And you know, it's so interesting. These two names used to be the number two and number four biggest weighting on the industrial sector, but wow. because of the... Uh, pressures they've been under over the last couple of years. Yes, positive performance today, but some of the other names weighing them down. Airlines are also sort of clumped into the industrial basket, so that can weigh on performance. Great
1: point. Again, they're still doing better than the retail space, uh, for sure. Thank you very much, Mm -hmm. Arsima Modi. Coming up, we're following up with one of our out-of-stock companies we profiled back in 2020. APTAR Group makes pumps for the likes of soap and sanitizer, and while those are fully back online, they're facing a new shortage now. The CEO explains after this quick break. Welcome back. The great resignation may be over, but job abandonment is the new challenge for some employers. That includes Aptar Group, the maker of plastic pumps and packaging for a lot of household items. We first spoke with them back in September of 2020, when their supply chain went haywire amid the push for sanitizers at the height of the pandemic. Nearly two years later, they're now lacking something different, labor, despite hiking wages and stepping up recruiting efforts. And shares of the company are trying to avoid a fifth straight month of declines. Joining us now is Aptar Group CEO, Stefan Tanda. Stefan, welcome back. It's good to see you.
12: Good to be with you, Kelly. Good is, to see you.
1: Is the labor shortage slowing down your ability to do business?
12: Uh, absolutely. So uh, with the pandemic, really, both governments and our brand brand customers want to see more locally produced products uh, in the region for the region. And we are simply not able to Uh, provide all of what's needed. On any given day, especially in our Midwestern factories, we miss about 15% of our workforce.
1: So 15% of your workforce doesn't show up on a given day?
12: No, we're just short of the staffing levels uh, that we need. Um, There's just not enough people who are interested in a career in manufacturing, anything from uh, operators to electricians, mechanics, process engineers, automation engineers, you name it, um, while we love to bring more manufacturing to the, back to the U.S., uh, we just don't have the workforce to do that.
1: Did that change in the past two years or were you having this problem before the pandemic?
12: No, it's really changed. Um, all, all the things that you report on, uh, massive numbers have left the workforce for different reasons. And there's just not enough people in the workforce now uh, that want to do uh the kind of manufacturing that we're doing. And as you said, we've raised entry-level wages by 30%, uh, have great benefits, healthcare, retirement, pay retention incentives, uh, but it's just not enough. And we, we have to get very creative with uh, recruiting.
1: Why aren't people coming back in? And I've heard this from similar from warehouse operators where they're pulling out all the stops to try to recruit people to show up to fill these roles. I would imagine similar kind of worker that you're looking for, where did the workers go?
12: Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good question, and indeed we're not alone. We see this with our suppliers. We see this with a lot of our customers. Even if we get the products ready on time, often we get a call and say, "Hey, our plant's down or our manufacturing schedule has changed because we don't have the labor." So, it's a broad-based issue, and I, I think it's just the numbers don't add up. Uh, things we're doing. I mean, we're working with companies our organizations like Tent. We've hired some 20 Afghan refugees. We're hiring uh, Ukrainian refugees. We are bringing uh, technicians in on temporary work visas uh, from other countries, uh, but it's just not enough. There are not enough people who are interested in uh, manufacturing.
1: So when people say the U.S. is heading into recession and and all the rest of it, what what do you say? What do you think is going on with the economy?
12: Um, We are much more of an essential uh, product supplying company, as you said at the introduction uh, pharma products, I mean, uh, any consumer has a dozen of our products at home, anything from nasal sprays for allergies, inhalers, uh, upside down ketchup and so on. So we are pretty resilient. We don't see uh, a slowdown yet. Uh, clearly, in a, re- in a recession, uh, our kind of company is much more resilient because people still have breakfast, lunch and dinner. They need their uh, drugs and they put on their game face even if they don't buy their car or uh, the new refrigerator.
1: Stefan, this has been a fascinating window into an overlooked part of the economy and an essential one, as you say. Thank you so much for joining us. It's good to check in with you.
12: Thank you. Good to see you again.
1: Stefan Tanda is the CEO of Aptar Group. Up next, shares of Coinbase dropping today, but the move can't be blamed on the price of Bitcoin. What's pressuring the stock and why there could be more trouble ahead? Welcome back, everybody. Before we go, check out shares of Coinbase down 17% today, back to 55 a share. There's news the SEC is investigating the classification of some of its listed cryptos. Kate Rooney is back with that story and the implications for Coinbase,
10: Kate. Hey there, Kelly. A source yeah, telling me the SEC is investigating Coinbase. This has to do with potentially listing unregistered securities on that crypto exchange. Bloomberg first reported the news, the source also telling me this probe predated that insider trading case that we got last week, which is where the issue first got a lot of buzz. Coinbase telling us in a statement that we are confident, quote, that our rigorous diligence process, a process the SEC has already reviewed, keeps securities off of our platform. And we look forward to engaging with the SEC on this matter. But, Kelly, it has massive implications for Coinbase and the rest of the industry, for Coinbase Uh, For one, Coinbase has a framework it uses to list cryptocurrencies. It's the same one used by dozens of other exchanges. Coinbase could face penalties and fines if the SEC does find that it was facilitating the trading of unregistered securities. You also can't retroactively register something as a security. I'm told exchanges could face class action lawsuits with investors arguing they lost money, potentially trading some of these tokens Coinbase may also need to register as an exchange, either a national securities exchange or an alternative trading system. For now, the SEC has not issued an injunction or a cease and desist order. So I'm told Coinbase can keep operating as it has for the past few years, but it could have a chilling effect across the whole industry. Crypto companies have complained consistently about the SEC regulating through enforcement actions and clamoring for more clarity on this type of thing, these frameworks around registering and listing Securities. SEC Commissioner Gary Gensler, though, has said really anything other than Bitcoin and potentially Ether he sees as a security. So they're they're forced to sort of uh, act accordingly. But yeah. Kelly, yeah, interesting case here. And
1: fast evolving. I see now there's a couple senators who maybe want to exempt crypto from some uh, tax and reporting requirements if you use it for purchase under $50. So uh, they are right to say that we need, you know, fixed rules and, and rules that we can follow. Kate, for now, thank you very much, our Kate Rooney. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.